Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the San Basel Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday and a great start to the week. A lot that I want to talk about on today's edition of the San Basel Podcast. I want to be getting into some major casting announcements that came out earlier today and yesterday. Some sequels that were officially lit, some longtime ones that were in the making for the last couple of years. Also, some brand new details on this year's edition of DC Fandom, what's going to be going there, what kind of trailers can we expect, and some of those details that I'll be getting into, and what I'm really looking forward to seeing at this year's DC Fandom, and also a new look at Venom, Let There Be Carnage, there's a new poster, but the first thing that I do want to get into is something that just came out that I watched before recording this Sam Bissell podcast today, and that was the final trailers for No Time to Die. We there was a U.S. one that came out, and there was also a international United Kingdom for a lot of the other countries as well. And we kind of got a brand new, fresh look at this film. And for those of you that don't know, this is going to be the final film of Daniel Craig's tenure as 007. This is going to be the fifth film that he's done since 2006 Casino Royale. He's done four films since then, and it's been a, a little bit of a rocky roller coaster throughout his tenure from great films like Casino Royale and Skyfall to media core to not so good films like Quantum of Solace and Spectre but hopefully he goes out on a high note with No Time to Die which is directed by Kerry Fukunaga who did the first season of True Detective and it's also written by a few Bond mainstays and also a new name added to the edition was Phoebe Waller-Bridge for those of you who know who did Fleabag and was a big writer on the first season of Killing Eve so people know as a screener writer what she brings to the table And so a lot of people have been wondering if because of the Delta variant and a lot of the pandemic issues that are still ramping up right now and are kind of on a on an increase on a steady hill up over the last couple of months because of the Delta variant, people were wondering if MGM and Universal and Eon, which are kind of the big partners behind this Bond film, if they would actually delay the film once again because they were actually the first really true film to delay from the original April 2020 release date to at the time in the fall of 2020 and then they eventually moved it again into 2021. But they were really the first ones to to do it and was really the first true domino and indication of where this COVID pandemic was really going to take us. And so people were wondering if No Time to Die was going to move away from 2021 and maybe into end of 2021 into 2022. But they have said that they are sticking to their October 8th United States release date. It's coming out in September in the UK, and that's where it's going to have its big world premiere. So they confirmed that. And so it's really re-ramping up the marketing campaign that they started off doing and had to stall and lost millions and millions of dollars on in April of last year. And now they're kind of revitalizing that campaign once again, probably making it smaller, more compact, more concise because the word has been out for this film. People have been looking forward to it, but now it's just about getting people re-excited about it and on people's radar that, hey, this Bond film that we were supposed to show last year is still coming out. We still want it to be this big event, hopefully by the time it comes out at the end of September, early October, and can really be the true swan song 
to Daniel Craig's Bond tenure because when you watch Spectre, you kind of get a feeling that if if Spectre were to be the final film from Daniel Craig, it was an eh outing, but it, at the end, it felt like a good resolution to his story. They didn't leave anything on a cliffhanger that you would want to see him continue and that they needed to resolve any story issues, but I think they want to make sure that it's the proper true send-off for arguably one of the, if not for some people, the best Bond of all time, and now you can have that conversation, and I'm sure to probably have that conversation leading up to the release of this film, but Daniel Craig is without a doubt one of the best Bonds, and he deserves that kind of promotion, and you can definitely feel, especially in these trailers that came out, especially the United States one, that they are trying to link every single one of the Daniel Craig films up with kind of telling this big story that's been told in the last 14 plus years or so, and that everything has been leading to this film as kind of being their a la Endgame in a way. And the 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 creators, uh, Harry, uh, Arbor Broccoli, uh, or Barbara Broccoli, and her her stepbrother, Michael Broccoli, were also telling us uh, and telling people about this film and how it feels like it's a mini-series in a way. And that's something the Bond franchise has never really done before. And I think what that's really interesting in that they've really since... 2006, 2008, when they they did a direct sequel from Casino Royale to Quantum of Solace, that it was a, a true continuation from one Bond film to the next. And we never really have had that over really the tenure of James Bond. I think the closest you can maybe say that with is potentially the the early Bond films when Spectre was really kind of this loomy organization during the Sean Connery era, but they never really were direct follow-ups to each one of those films. And sometimes you would obviously have some linking or in characters throughout every single one of these films, but there was no direct follow-up to a story. Maybe you could go from Honor Majesty's Secret Service, the very end of that film, to the direct beginning of Diamonds Are Forever, but you had that switch where it was George Lazenby, and then it went back to Sean Connery for his last direct, directly related James Bond film. So I think for... For the, the Daniel Craig era, they went in a completely different direction. They're really kind of tying up this one story together, and I think that's really interesting. And it's something that's really directly correlated and, and really emphasized in these last trailers of No Time to Die. So those get me really excited. And talking about just the trailers themselves, it just continues to impress me with every single trailer that comes out. The action looks incredible. From what I heard from CinemaCon, when MGM had their panel last week, they presented about 13 minutes of footage from No Time to Die, and a lot of it was from that car chase, that action scene chase, in a lot of the trailers that we've seen with the Ashton Martin. They, from what I've heard, it is an incredible sequence that when you see it fully played out in its entirety, it's just mem- mesmerizing to actually see on the screen. So I think there's a lot of anticipation and excitement going forth with the, this final Daniel Craig film, and I think for him, a lot of people can say, especially with the last James Bond film that maybe he was mailing it in. He was just physically drained from it as a lot of these films too from time to time and he was just done with it and you could really kind of feel with Spectre that maybe he was just kind of going through the motions not really into it and I think he really wants to go out on the best way he possibly can. I think he wants to be remembered as somebody who was a, a great Bond from somebody that was ridiculed for being James Bond not the, 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 the prototypical James Bond look having 
having blonde hair instead of dark brown or black hair and and just not having that same look that the other Bonds have had in the past couple of decades. And it didn't really matter because what he did with Casino Royale was different. It was new. It was exciting. And to me, Casino Royale and Skyfall are some of the best Bond films of all time. And a large part of that is due to the Bond that Daniel Craig brings to the forefront. And I think with also... Daniel Craig's James Bond, we've also continued to do, to dive into the psyche of Bond that we haven't really done since Honor Majesty's Secret Service in, in 1969, which you could, that is really probably the most fully fleshed out James Bond we've seen until we've got Daniel Craig's James Bond films and to really kind of, kind of put an end cap to this emotionally stripped down, realized Bond that we've got, and I, I think is, is a great way to end it all. And I know that Robert Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, who are the the head runners of Eon Productions that owns outright the James Bond franchise, they that company has been with them since Harry Saltzman and Cubby Broccoli did it from Dr. No. And I know that they are very sad to leave Daniel Craig, but hopefully we get something exciting in the future with James Bond. But I think for right now, they're just focused on giving Daniel Craig the best swan song that he possibly can can and making the best film that they can with this one because they eon themselves the eon productions they really don't do anything else but james bond so they fully rely on a successful james bond film now whether this actually makes the potential billion dollars that i think in a pre-pandemic time period this film could have made especially since this is the end of daniel craig's tenure i don't think it's going to hit those highs but if this is a really good film by end of september october more vaccinations happen i I definitely can see this film breaking into maybe doing 400, 500 million dollars worldwide, even maybe exceeding some of those expectations a little bit if the worldwide status does really, really well. And from the reports that I've heard, they're really looking for the UK to really respond to this because even though James Bond is a popular entity worldwide and there are a lot of fans here in the United States, it really is a homegrown United Kingdom franchise. We, The United States owns a bunch of the biggest franchises in the world. We can talk Star Wars, the MCU, but the UK has two of the biggest franchises in the world as well. They have Harry Potter, even though it's owned by an an American studio with Warner Brothers that has the rights to to that film franchise. But But with James Bond, that is solely based in the United Kingdom, even though, again, we have partners and studios in the United States that handle the production aspect and the financing of the James Bond franchise. Again, Eon is a UK-based production company, and they own James Bond pretty much outright from the very beginning. And I I think for for the United Kingdom, they want to see it play really, really well there, first and foremost, beyond anywhere else. So I think this is going to be really exciting. I'm really interested to see how this all really kind of plays out, where it goes. But overall, when looking at the film itself as well, it looks really good. And I really like the trailers. I liked how we also got a little bit of of more of Remy Malek's uh, 7 in this one. He looks a little bit menacing. I really like the, again, talking about the emotional aspect of James Bond that we haven't really seen before in, in 
in a long, long time if you follow this franchise, Madeline Swan and seeing kind of this, this, this struggle with James Bond about falling in love with somebody and trusting people and who, who can you have friends with, who can you not in the world of espionage. And I think that's something that, again, is an, an emotional tie-in from the James, the, the, the early Daniel Craig film, specifically with Casino Royale and everything with Vesper Lind and, and, and the true love of his life and, and how that's going to correlate with the end of James Bond. So I'm really excited about that and I'm really excited to see the, the visuals on the big screen, just watching them on my laptop on YouTube. They look gorgeous and just visually amazing. So I'm really excited to see what Kerry Fuganawa is going to do with this film. And maybe this is the beginning of another great relationship where he continues to make more James Bond films because he seems like he's a fan of this franchise. He knows how to run it from the, what the trailers are showing as well. So I'm really excited about this. And, I'm, and again, I'm really excited to see hopefully Daniel Craig potentially hopefully go out on the highest note he possibly can because again, he has done some great things with this franchise. I think he breathed new life into it when it absolutely needed it, especially after the tail end of the Pierce Brosnan era in the late 90s, early 2000s. So they needed a, a jolt of energy and Daniel Craig brought it to them. And when all the odds were against him, he shut all his critics up as anybody always wants to do. He did it and everyone has revered him ever since Casino Royale. And I think he deserves this swung song that no, no, no Bond actor has really kind of gotten the swung song that Daniel Craig is going to get. Not even Sean Connery got this because even with those films, it was always an on-again, off-again relationship where it seemed like they needed to move on from Sean Connery, but they wanted to keep bringing him back. And it, even in the, the, the late 70s, or excuse me, not the late 70s, but the late 60s and early 70s, it didn't have that big, Diamonds Are Forever wasn't this big swank song send-off that Sean Connery got. They just really went from Sean Connery to Roger Moore. And even with Roger Moore, it was more of the aspect of he started off great. He had a great run as James Bond. Then towards the tail end, it got a little wonky and he was getting too old. And he just quietly went into the good night. There was no big swan song for Roger Moore. Timothy Dalton didn't have that, even though he was a short tenure James Bond. Same as George Lazenby. He was the, the infamous one and done Bond. And then Pierce Brosnan started off really strong. But towards the end of his tenure as James Bond, really bad films didn't do well and there was no swan song, just kind of ended. So this is really kind of the first true swan song ending send-off that a James Bond actor is really getting. And again, no fitting way for it to be than with Daniel Craig, who again breathes, I think, new life and deserves this kind of send-off for what he was able to do with the Bond franchise when they absolutely needed it the most in the mid-2000s. So I'm really excited about this, and I'm really excited to see how they send off Daniel Craig in the best way possible, but also setting up more James Bond adventures down the line as well and, and whether they're going to get continue some of these storylines and really just kind of revamp James Bond in some other new and exciting way for the future is going to be really, really interesting to see. But for right now, I'm really excited to see how they end his tenure with No Time to Die, which releases in late September in the United Kingdom and here in the United States on October 8th. What are you guys excited about with No Time to Die? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And now it's time to move 
move on to something that we'll be talking about with No Time to Die in about a month or so, and that, of course, is the box office, getting into the weekly weekend recap of what came out and what did well in the top 10 this past weekend. And no surprise whatsoever, Candyman topped the charts at number one this weekend, grossing a a little bit better than expected, just a slight bit, but anything these days counts, a little bit better than expected, $22 million at the box office this weekend. It also grossed an additional $5 million internationally and now has worldwide $27 million at the box office. And it only has around a $20 to $25 million budget. So it's already hit that in its first weekend. Now the big factor, of course, is going to be what the kind of legs this film is going to be able to sustain. And if you've seen my social media post, you know that I really wasn't a big fan of Candyman. I just didn't think the script was all that well done. And I think they just try to fit in a story that was meaningful into the mythology. And I just didn't think it, it both of them were evened out the best way possible. I did really like the, the performances. I thought Nia DaCosta did an incredible job as a director. I wish they gave her more horror aspects to really work with because I didn't also think that there was a lot of great horror sequences there were some really good things throughout it but i wish there was a little bit more to it and i think audiences also expected that as well it only got around a b cinema score so the big question of course is going to be what kind of legs is this film going to have moving forward because if it can have some good legs and and only drop under 50 percent then i think it'll be able to be a positive outcome in the end for universal and everyone that was really kind of behind this film but again i think people are really looking for stuff to to watch i i think that there were still some positive receptions towards this film and people really wanted to see it this weekend so it's no surprise that Candyman really was the one that came out on top at number one but there were some successes that came with it as well as for nia DaCosta, who i'm really excited to see what she does with the marvels next year that she's directing she becomes the highest grossing black female director with Candyman. so again progress being made and i think this is a great step forward and again i think for nia DaCosta, i think again this is going to be a great way for her to continue with the marvels and what she's going to be able to do with that film so again it's going to be really exciting to see what she can do with this film and what she can do with their future so a great start for Candyman. hopefully can sustain that in the next couple of weeks like this next film that came in once again at the number two spot after coming in number one the last couple of weeks and that is the Ryan Reynolds starring Free Guy, which continues to do really, really well at the box office, continuing to, to stay under the 50% threshold when dropping week by week, which is, again, what you want to do when you're a movie. And again, when you're a movie that has a lot of positive buzz, like Free Guy has had some great word of mouth, it continues to show the, the outcome of what positive word of mouth can do for a film, because that, again, reverberates even even in the pandemic era right now, people want to see something and they want some kind of entertainment. If they hear something really good about a film that maybe they weren't so keen about, but they hear really good things about, they'll want to go check it out. And if it's a film that stars Ryan Reynolds and you have some really other good stars like Jodie Comer and Little Ray Howard and Taika Waititi in it, you'll get people intrigued to go see it. And that's the kind of success that Free Guy is seeing right now. It's grossed $78 million overall domestically. It's grossed an additional $100 million internationally to make a worldwide accumulation of $179 million. 
dollars. So for for a a non-franchise film that's an original film, doesn't come from any kind of IP like Star Wars or Marvel or DC whatsoever, that's a really good story, especially again in the pandemic era right now. Uh, again, we're dealing with the Delta variant. We're dealing with COVID on the rise and cases really at a peak level right now, especially with a lot of vaccinations not happening. I think the, the praises and the successes that we were seeing from Memorial Day weekend to July 4th, they're not there right now. And I think studios, they're not going to pull out their movies like they did in, in 2020. They're going to hold on to right now until things are truly, truly at a bad point like they were last year. Then I think they're going to keep these movies in theaters. And seeing these results right now, I think gives them some hope that people will still go see these films. Maybe not a lot of people, but still people will go to the movies, especially if it's an exclusive theatrical release. And, and with both of these films right now, we look at Candyman, with just, even though it's $22 million domestically, it's still a an exclusive theatrical film. And The Free Guy, it has a 45-day exclusive window, and it seems like it's really taking advantage of that. And if you've seen a lot of the big successes throughout, not just opening weekend, but throughout its run, A Quiet Place Part Two, F9 exclusive 45-day window, now eclipsing $700 million at the box office. The, the Even though it's not the long window of 90 days and it's truncated right now, the 45-day window is probably going to become the norm once we're fully somewhat back to normal in the next year or so, hopefully. I think that's going to be the norm. And even with uh, and even in a pandemic right now, when people are still hesitant to go to the movies right now and, and really go out, I think it showcases that it, it does have success and it's going to have some great success moving forward. And even though there might be some great benefits of doing day and day release for the companies that are releasing these films, in the end, it's not going to be a great result. It's going to be more of a negative loss result than a positive net gain for a lot of these companies. So I think, if anything, the 45-day window, the, that experiment has really been a big triumph for theater goers, theater owners, and the studios as well. And I think Free Guy is the latest example of that as well. Another film that's doing very well came in at number two last weekend, but only just dropped one spot, and that is the animated film Paw Patrol the Movie. It grossed an additional $6 million this weekend to bring in a domestic accumulation of $24 million. Internationally, it grossed $37 million, and worldwide it has $61 million. So uh, again, I think for a film that maybe not a lot of people had on the radar, clearly a lot of people had this film on the radar, and it's doing surprisingly well at the box office right now. And again, you usually get some crazy August film that you don't expect to do well, just come out of the blue and surprise a lot of people, both in its actual, the making of the film critically and also financially when it comes to the box office. And it seems like Paw Patrol the movie is that film. And I think that's also evidence in the fact that that families want to go out to the movies and when there's not a whole lot to do, especially when you're winding out towards the end of the summer, going back into school, you want to try to get in those family activities before everything ramps back up again with work and, and going back to school. For the kids, you want to try to do as much as possible and you want to get those final films in and there's not a lot of out right now when it comes to family-friendly films, so you're really only left with the, with the ones that are out right now and Paw Patrol is that movie and that's what the families decided to do and I think it showcases 
case is that the family market is still big, even with COVID right now, families still feel comfortable with their little kids, with with their young ones to go out into the theaters and see these kinds of films. So again, a, a surprising result, but a, a nice result to see Paw Patrol do really, really well. And then coming in at number four at the box office this weekend, dropping one spot off from its previous weekend is Jungle Cruise, which grossed an additional $5 million, now eclipses the $100 million threshold domestically at the box office. And, and in a pandemic era, that's a really, really big deal as Jungle Cruise becomes the fifth movie to gross more than $100 million at the domestic box office this year. It is currently the only non-sequel to do this. The biggest, highest grossing domestic film so far this year is, of course, Marvel Studios' Black Widow with $182 million. Coming in at, at number two is F9 with $173 million. Coming in at number three is A Quiet Place Part Two with $160. Number four, Godzilla vs. Kong with $101 million. And then at number five is the Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt vehicle, Jungle Cruise, which I'll talk about in, in just a little bit, but officially got greenlit for a sequel. And we'll talk about that in, in a little bit later down in the podcast. But still a really good success story for Jungle Cruise. Again, I think Disney sees that if this film was in a non-pandemic era, that I think it could have done really, really well at the box office. I think Disney saw that with the numbers they were getting both in theaters and also on Disney Plus. And they want to see this movie do and, and this become a really big franchise. And I think they see the, the positive reception that this film got as well. And the box office numbers, again, it'll probably lose some money at the box office. It's not really going to be a positive reception and net for this for Disney when all is said and done. But I think they see that if COVID recedes in the next couple of years when they come out with their sequel, that maybe that film could do a little bit better than Disney's than Disney's Jungle Cruise did in the midst of the pandemic right now. So again, for Jungle Cruise, I'm really happy for it. And I'm, I'm happy this got a sequel because I did have a lot of fun with the first film. And I think if they bring everybody back, again, I think it could be a really fun time. So we'll get into that a little bit more in the podcast. But just to round out the rest of the top 10 box office, coming in at number five was the horror film Don't Breathe. It's grossed an additional $2.8 million at the box office this weekend. Overall, domestically, it has $24 million. It's grossed $10 million internationally. And worldwide, it has a accumulation of $35 million. And then coming in at number six this weekend, dropping off one spot, is the Aretha Franklin biopic Respect, which grossed $2.2 million this weekend for a 40% drop. It now has $19.7 million domestically. It's grossed $3.3 million internationally and worldwide has accumulation of $23 million. So again, a modest, a modest score, a modest haul for this biopic. And I think as much as I would love to see this film gain some Oscar love, I, I don't know if that'll be the case. I think this is a, I was worried about this and the fact that I think Respect is gonna be a film that dies down because of its release date coming out in August instead of coming out in September, October, right around when that true big Oscar window is supposed to really kind of push with these 
potential candidates. So we'll see what happens. But again, not a bad hole for respect, but not, I think, the kind of stuff that MGM wanted to see, especially with a big, renowned icon like Aretha Franklin. And then coming in at number six was DC's The Suicide Squad, grossing an additional $2 million in the box office and now has a accumulation of $52 million domestically, $102 million internationally, and worldwide a total cum of $155 million. And that's really kind of equaling out what the budget was for this film without the marketing and advertising associated with it. So it's going to be interesting to see where this film goes from here. And again, I don't think this means this spells doom and death for the the Suicide Squad or any of those franchise characters by any stretch of the imagination. Again, I think this film, kind of like talking about some of the other films like Jungle Cruise or e- even a free guy in a way or, or any of these kinds of films, if they're big blockbusters, you understand what it could have done if we weren't in the times that we live in right now. And it sounds like it did modestly well on HBO Max too. So I think they Warner Brothers and DC sees that there is popularity within this film. People really are enjoying it whenever they watch it and they really love these characters. So I think they're going to move forward, whether it's with uh, an additional straight up sequel to Suicide Squad or like they're doing with Peacemaker, do all these spinoff shows on HBO Max or make these movies with some of these characters. I think they, they know that there is popularity within James Gunn continuing with this franchise and with DC and also seeing these characters in their own worlds as well. So uh, there's really nothing to panic about, even if the numbers look like you should panic. Again, you can really just chalk this up to, I think, COVID, day and date release, a whole bunch of amalgamations that really just didn't really, I think, bode well for this film just coming into it. And again, the fact that for R-rated, for an R-rated rating, I think, especially if you come out day and date, for you sometimes have people that will try to sneak into the theater or they'll have adults bring them to the theater. So instead of just doing that and planning out going to the theaters, I think they just probably stayed at home and watched the film on HBO Max because you don't have to have a, a, a actual age supervision when clicking on watching the film. So you can just straight up watch it there if you wanted to. So I think that's that lost a little bit of money for them as well. So I think there was a lot of things that really played into Suicide Squad not doing well financially. But I, again, I don't think it's going to spell doom and gloom like even though the first Suicide Squad film with David Ayer's film did really well box office-wise, didn't do really well critically, and we've seen what happened since then. They basically blew up that entire cast and blew up that entire plan. I don't think you're going to see that same thing here because of the circumstances that are surrounding it. And then rounding out the top 10 was number eight, The Protégé, grossing another $1.6 million for a domestic accumulation of $5 million. It's grossed $124,000 internationally, so it still stays around $5 million worldwide at the box office. And then coming in at number 10 is the Rebecca Hall film, The Night House, which grossed $1.2 million at the box office for accumulation of $5 million. And then staying at number 10 from last weekend to this weekend was Am Night Shyamalan's new film, Old, which grows another $840,000. It now has accumulation domestically of $46 million at the box office and $84 million worldwide. And then just to kind of talk about it real quick, dropping off again from just two spots from where it landed last week was Reminiscence. And it only grossed $820,000, a drop of 58% 
from the last weekend. And I'm somebody that semi-defends Reminiscence, but I think that's a film that if we're talking about the fallout from this HBO Max, Warner Brothers, day and date release, all these big projects that were are you need to have in the movies, I think, again, kind of like the little things and even something like a Tom and Jerry or something like a Cry Macho, it's coming out in a couple weeks. I think those kinds of films are made for the, the day and date release or are made to just go straight to HBO Max. And I think Reminiscence is one of those films. As much as I like watching an IMAX, I think of either, either way, if I watched it on the big screen or at home, I think I get the same experience. And I think you garner a lot more people watching it than seeing it in theaters. Because I think if you get somebody like a Hugh Jackman to, in this role, people love watching Hugh Jackman in anything he's in. But I, I don't think you're going to get people to run out to the movies to see that film. I think if you were to say, oh, this is on HBO Max, you can watch it for, not for free, but if you have a cable subscription or you pay for HBO Max, you can just basically watch it. I think people would check it out then. So I think when you have these mid-level budgeted, uh, higher-end, one over or a little under $100 million, like a Reminiscence or a Cry Mantra, which is coming out in a couple weeks, I think that is the better road to go. And I think you're going to see that by the end of the year, that these mid-level budget films are going to be more geared towards hitting HBO Max more so than hitting just straight up theaters. But overall, that is the top 10 or really top 11 of this week's box office. Again, coming in at number one was Candyman. Number two is Free Guy. Number three, Paw Patrol, the movie. Number four, Jungle Cruise. Number five, Don't Breathe. Number six, Respect. Number seven, The Suicide Squad. Number eight, The Protégé. Number nine, The Night House. And rounding out the top 10 was Old. And then coming in a spot below that was Hugh Jackman's Red. So what do you guys think about this weekend's box office? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. All right. Now we're going to move away from the box office and into some big movie news that came out over the last 24, 48 hours or so. And I'm going to start out with something that came out around Sunday evening. And that was the announcement or the news that broke from Deadline Hollywood that Marvel Studio alum from the MCU, Scarlett Joe Hanson and Chris Evans will be teaming up for a brand new original film that's completely away from the MCU and will be tackling a romantic action adventure titled Ghosted. And there's not a lot more information regarding the film other than that, than what the, the genre description and the title of the film. The only other news is that it will be directed by Rocketman director Derek Fletcher and, excuse me, Dexter Fletcher. And I'm really excited about it. And, and I'm and about this this team up. I mean, again, you don't know how this is going to come across on screen. And if you just watch the trailers, it could be complete crap. But when you, again, when you look at something on paper, just like taking sports analogy, you look at a roster and you have all these great players on there, but you, it doesn't really translate on the court. Right now, you're looking at, at this paper, this roster of a two top billing headline actor and actresses taking on this teaming up together once again. And you have a really good director, in my opinion, with Dexter Fletcher, who's taking this on as well. And I'm sure he's going to create a really good crew around them. They're going to fill out a really nice cast for this one. And I think this fits really well with, with Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans and, and the fact that 
they probably play a couple or, or that's probably where the romantic angle happens to be in. And of course, their major actors, acting stars or and action stars, especially being from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So they, they already know how to handle action really, really well. And also a big thing, of course, is the fact that they know each other really well. And it just it goes back even before the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans knew each other. So they just have great chemistry by themselves. So I, I think this could really, really be something that's interesting now the in, the other interesting aspect about this is whether or not it goes to a streaming service because this was pitched to skydance but it seems like apple studios is going to be picking this one up so potentially i don't know how it's going to play out in terms of screening this theatrically but it sounds like this could be something for an apple tv plus which is kind of the name of the game right now when it comes to streaming wars when you have a lot of these original ip kind of films or not really ip films but original fresh films that don't have any background to them have no existing franchise before it or anything to really kind of hinge your hats on it's a little bit of a risk for studios and right now streaming services are the ones that are willing to shove out the money and take those risks right now so this could be something for apple tv plus but i hope it also is able to find its way to the theaters as well because again i think this sounds like a really fun film and and, and knowing what dexter fletcher did with rocket man and making it very flashy but also very nuanced and and he was able to really do a really fun job with rocket man and also kind of bring home what was with bohemian rhapsody i'm excited to see him take a little bit of a different approach and move away from biopics and do some action adventure and make it a little bit of a of a rom-com at the same time i guess or or, or romantic action adventure as it's labeled to be so a lot of exciting stuff happening with this film i like again on paper what they're forming over there with this project but again want to see the footage some previews what it looks like but on paper a great start to headlining this project and with these two stars with this director you definitely have my peaks interested or piqued my interest rather excuse me with this film what do you guys think about Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans teaming up for this film let me know down below and leave your thoughts and now to continue kind of the follow-up that I was having when talking about the box office with Jungle Cruise I'm now going to get into a report that came out of THR the Hollywood Reporter yesterday in regards to a sequel officially being greenlit for Jungle Cruise 2 now, it's been confirmed that both Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt will be returning to the franchise now and that Wame Colette Sierra will be returning to the director's chair as well. And again, this is this is really no surprise because it sounds like this is something that was in the works for the last couple of weeks. The Rock's been using his social media prowess to tease that some news is going to be coming the next week or so. And it seems like this is what that news was going to be in regards to Jungle Cruise. And I'm really excited about this. I think this is a smart idea on Disney's part. And again, to kind of talk about the financial angle again, this film grossed around $35 million at the box office, over $180 million worldwide in box office sales, $100 million domestically. And also, it did around $30 million apparently opening weekend. We don't know the numbers in the second or third weekend, but the first weekend, Disney did report that Jungle Cruise did make around $30 million in Disney Plus subscriptions, really, and its premiere access. So you wonder how many 
how many tickets that could have been depending on if it was one person, if it was a couple watching, if it was a family watching the film, because I know I watched it with my family on Premiere Access after I saw the screening for it, and it, that was four of us right then and there. So you're talking at least 70, 60 million dollars from one family alone. So I think they see the numbers and they see the data and they suggest if we weren't in the times that we're in right now, this could have been maybe not a big box office hit, but for Walt Disney Studios and their specific Disney Studios branch, not talking about Marvel Studios, not talking about Lucasfilm or their animation branches like Pixar and Animation Studios, just their live action division and also taking away from the the remakes and reboots they've done with their live action retellings of their animated classics. They haven't really done well when it comes to their live action films. I mean, you talk about Tomorrowland, the Nutcracker films, the Alice, the Alice sequel. They just have not had any kind of big successes in a long, long time and been a big franchise in their own studio to hang their hats on since the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. And I think they were really hoping for Jungle Cruise to take on that mantle and seeing what the numbers are now, what they really could have been and looking at the numbers and seeing what they really could have done if they didn't have this on day and date with Disney+. Plus. I think they felt confident enough that if we bring the same team back, we're going to get another fun experience. And I love the mindset that they have with that because I think if you want to take have a franchise to take over that mantle and be the big one, big franchise that you hang your hats on, this is, I think, a great one to continue down that path with because I think you have two, you, you found some phenomenal chemistry within your two leads. And it's not just chemistry that's on screen. It, you, you saw it in the press tour that they gave for Jungle Cruise that it's just a, a natural born chemistry that you don't really find a lot within performers and they just have it instantly. So I think Disney wants to keep that going. And I think Juan Colette Sierra is kind of the mainstay other than Ross and Thurber. I think that for Dwayne Johnson, this guy is the one that he wants to work with a lot as well. He just did Black Adam for for, for DJ, and I think he wants to, to continue seeing that. And, and I think this guy did a really good job in directing Jungle Cruise. He didn't make it anything kind of big and bold, but he brought, I think, some really good visual iconography and photography to this film. And he did a really good job with the action and just did a good job in pacing this film as well. And it was just a fun, entertaining adventure made for the summertime. And I think it really did work out that way. And I think you're seeing that in the box office receipts where just this past weekend, it only dropped 21%. So again, talking about something like Paw Patrol, the movie, there's not there's a scarce amount of family films out right now. And I think you look at Paw Patrol, if you want to take your little kids to go see that, but if you have more of young, adult, young kids to teenagers in a way, and you want to take them to see a movie and have some family time, something like a Jungle Cruise is mature enough for them that they can go and experience a fun time time with that as well. So as long as they just continue that and make it a fun, entertaining film, doesn't have to be anything emotionally complex or it really like get into the layers of, of Frank or or Lily or any of these characters. But if you make it fun and entertaining and enjoyable, I think people will come back to this franchise and see multiple films. So hopefully we'll get that with Jungle Cruise 2. I think again you bring back the old team, you keep that continuity going, you keep those that that mindset of what you want this film franchise to be that's the best thing you can do again going to stuff about sports you want if you win a championship you want to keep that consistency going going into the next couple seasons you want you don't want to have a huge drop off and i think with this kind of film 
with you just want to keep on having that same mindset you want to keep having the people come back and and know what to expect with this franchise and what people really love that you can improve upon and things that people really love that you say okay we can either we can either expand on this we can just continue to keep it going so I, i think it really there's something to be had when keeping the same people on board with the film like this so i'm really excited about it i really whenever it comes out i'll be ready for it but uh, it was no no shocking surprise that this was going to come it seemed like it was in the works for the last couple of weeks now and now that it's finally happening and it's officially greenlit i'm very excited to see where jungle cruise 2 can go in the next couple of years and then another kind of this one surprised me a little bit more than i thought and and the re- and, and i don't know why it surprised me because I've been hearing about this for the last couple of years, as a lot of people I think that keep up with this industry have, but we finally got news, according to The Hollywood Reporter, once again, that The Expendables 4 is officially happening. It's not something that's in the works, it's not being rewritten, trying to get cast members to fit around their schedule. This is officially happening and they have new and old members coming in to the team for this fourth go around in the Expendables franchise. So according to The Hollywood Reporter, we have some old blood that's gonna be coming in and that takes the form of Dolph Lundgren, Randy Cotier, Sylvester Stallone, and Jason Statham will be coming back for this film. There's no new yet on someone like a a Terry Crews if he's going to be coming back or Wesley Snipes but when we get to these four these four have been with us since the very first Expendables film and it seems like they're going to be continuing on but we're also going to be getting some brand new faces and that comes in the form of rapper actor 50 Cent martial arts expert Tony Jaa and actress Megan Fox are set to join this roster. And according to The Hollywood Reporter, there's gonna be some changes that come within the film. So according to the report, Sylvester Stallone, when you think of Expendables, he's the one that really kind of formed everything together. He was the writer and the director of the first Expendables and he's been kind of the face of it and the centerpiece of the of really the, the first three films to come in this franchise. But it seems like maybe Sylvester Stallone might take a little bit more of a backseat in this film as it's being reported that Jason Statham is going to be more the face of this film and the leader of this film than Sly has been in the past three. And also, I mean, this really is a surprise, but Megan Fox will be the lead actress in the film. So I'm sure she's going to be getting a co-star billing in this as well. She'll be a main central point of, of the story. Now, whether she's a part of the team or 50 Cent or Tony Jaa are part of the team or they're additional characters that are a part of this story is yet to be seen but i'm i'm interested in seeing another expendables film and when you look back at the 2010s the early 2010s the expendables was a big franchise i mean it it was really kind of the 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 throwback of throwbacks when it came to getting older audience members especially males to go out to the theaters once again and it felt like just hanging out with your favorite 80s stars and just having a fun time and i think especially with those first two films that's exactly what they were you bring back people like jean-claude van damme and you bring in arnold schwarzenegger and and even bruce willis came to play in these films and then you bring along the likes of of somebody like a chuck norris for the expendables 2 i mean you're talking about some of the biggest stars of the 80s and 90s coming to play in those films if, if this was the 80s and 90s if we're talking about dream teams or we're talking about 
about kind of Avengers Endgame level style films, that's the kind of film that would have gotten that kind of hype if you had all those guys in their primes in one film kind of working together in that kind of a way. But they were kind of rivalries during the 80s and 90s. But to kind of have them at their age come together with these films and get young new bloods like Jet Li and Jason Statham in this in these films... I think it really, really worked. I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan of the third film as much because I think it got more into PG-13 and I think the studios wanted to kind of widen the, the birth a little bit, widen the audience aspect, which is good to do, but I think you lost some of the magic of the first two films, what made them really fun and what it, this was really intended to be and you don't want to shake the formula of what's successful for you in the beginning. So I think that's really kind of what derailed Expendables 3, but I'm hoping to see what they do with this fourth film Megan Fox is in this. I mean, listen, Megan Fox is somebody who I think people make fun of a lot because of, of a lot of the past roles that she's done and things that have happened in her past. But from what I've heard for the last couple of films that she's been in in the last few years, she's actually a really good actress. And listen, I was a fan of hers with Jennifer's Body. And even what she did in the first two Transformers films, she's, she's a somewhat of a star. And I think she's a name brand. People recognize her. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what she does in this film. She's been it seems like she's been wanting to get more into action action films and doing a lot of the stunts herself and i think that's what she wants to do and what they're offering for her in this movie so it's going to be really exciting to see what this film entails and, and if they get anybody else back to be in these movies i think it's going to be very really interesting and i don't know if this is going to be the last one or not but it sounds like for for Stallone that I think he's he's still doing action films he's still doing all those physical performances but I think for him he's starting to slow down a little bit and and I think he realizes like I don't have to be the face of anything anymore I can still be in the background and do things and and I think he sees that and and I think when you have somebody like Jason Statham Statham isn't a huge box office drop but when he's in films he people notice him and he's an, an amazing action star one of the best in the game today still and I think for him to lead this this ensemble is a smart idea. So I'm really excited to see this film. I, I really like the casting and the, the newcomers to this. Tony Jaa, I mean, if you've seen him in The Raid or if you've seen him in Furious 7, the guy can throw a punch or two. So that's going to be really cool to see. And 50 Cent is, is a cool, laid-back kind of dude. You see him in in, in power and, and, and really just kind of be a badass. I mean, that, that's what he's going to bring to the table. So I think if they know their roles, this could be a fun, entertaining ride once again and I hope it they bring it back to that R-rated 80s 90s kind of action and and I think they can maybe transition it to more of a modern day kind of thing because even though you have Dolph Lundgren again Randy Corter back again this isn't really unless they bring back like Terry Crews and they bring back some of the other guys it, it, it might not be the, the full throwback of the first two films so it'll be very interesting to see what they do with this film and after all these years are people going to be excited about seeing an Expendables 4. It's been a long time. The last film came out in 2014, so it's been a while. So are people still invested in this? Are you, What's the marketing for this film going to be like? The production is starting in October, so there is about a month or so left to get casting back and to hear more casting announcements, which I'm sure we'll hear about in the future. But we are officially getting this film. It is actually happening, and I'm really interested to see where this franchise goes from here. So what do you guys think about Jungle Cruise 2? being official and the Expendables 4 officially happening and being casted. Let's get Machine Gun Kelly in there. Why not? I mean, 
You got his, you got his girlfriend in there. Why not throw Machine Gun Kelly in there at the same time as well? I'm just saying. So what do you guys think about Expendables 4 and the casting? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And one of the last major things that I want to talk about today, guys, is DC Fandom. Now, DC Fandom is seems like it's going to be a continuing occurrence going for the next couple of years. And this year, we're getting the second installment from the sensation that was DC Fandom last year. And it was announced about a couple of months ago that, that this year's Fandom wouldn't be happening in August, but would rather actually be happening a couple months later, specifically on October 16th. And we haven't heard a lot of details since then, but today we officially got really what is gonna be happening at this year's DC Fandom. So we officially got word that the, that the event will be kicking off at 10 a.m. Now, whether that's Eastern Time or Pacific Daylight Time, I have no idea just yet. But when I do find out, I will let you know. And also, apparently, DC Fandom won't just be available on the DCFandom.com website. It will also be available on digital platforms such as Twitch and YouTube and, and Facebook Live and also on Twitter as well. So DC is really trying to expand on what they did with their first uh, event, which, again, took over over the internet it took over the day it was basically like comic-con but the best virtual comic-con you could ever possibly have and and everyone was able to experience it and i'm really happy that it seems like they're going to continue at least for it to be free right now for everybody to access for that day and to be a part of it and also announcing all the all the details about when this is going to be happening they also revealed some of the panels and what to expect when dc fandom arrives on October 16th. And this comes from us over at the official description over at Deadline on what we're gonna be experiencing at DC Phantom, starting off with what will be on the film slate. On the film side, Warner Brothers Pictures will show off an exclusive new trailer for The Batman, new content for DC League of Super Pets with Dwayne Johnson, Black Adam with Dwayne Johnson, a sneak peek at The Flash, and behind the scenes looks at Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, and Shazam Fury of the Gods. On the television side, Warner Brothers TV will offer a new look at Batwoman, The Flash, Superman and Lois, and Sweet Tooth. Also a farewell tribute to Supergirl as it approaches its epic conclusion after six seasons, a celebration of 100 episodes of DC's Legend of Tomorrow, a first look at forthcoming new drama Naomi, and a sneak peek at an upcoming episode of DC's Stargirl. And then over on the video game side, Warner Brothers games will have sneak peeks at Gotham Knights, developed by Warner Brothers Games Montreal, and Suicide Squad killed the Justice League, developed by Rocksteady Studios. And then over on the television side, the streaming side rather, with HBO Max, they will unveil an exclusive look at the upcoming Warner Brothers TV series Peacemaker from James Gunn and limited event series DMZ. The streamer is also debuting more surprises and sneak peeks from new series, as well as returning favorites such as Titans and Doom Patrol. So a lot of stuff is going to be happening over at DC Fandom, more so than it sounds like than we got last year. And last year, there was a lot of fun stuff that I think we could look forward to. I think there were some things up and coming around the corner, like Wonder Woman 1984. That was a few months away. And this was before we got the announcement of it doing the hybrid day and date release. 
And then of course the Suicide Squad was still happening a year out. But now we're gonna be getting a lot more, I think, of announcements when it comes to, to casting and when it comes to the a look forward at some of these the, these film projects, sticking with the film side real quick. I mean, showing off a new trailer for the Batman, it makes sense because in October will only be about I would say four or so months away when DC is supposed to be debuting the Batman on March for uh, March 4th of 2022. So around four to five months from the time that it debuts the trailer. So that's the first thing that's upcoming on the film slate. So Warner Brothers is gonna wanna start getting the word out because other than the CinemaCon stuff that was shown just to exclusively to some press and to theater exhibition owners, no one has seen any footage of this film since they debuted that amazing DC Phantom trailer last year. So they want to start getting the hype train ready for that film. And Black Adam getting a new look at that, that makes a lot of sense. So a lot of the stuff that was really kind of in production or, or in pre-production casting still had to be done like Black Adam and The Flash was still kind of gearing up for production and same thing with Aquaman and Lost Kingdom. That was in like the early, early stages of pre-production. I think the script maybe was in stage one at that point. And then of course, Shazam Fury of the Gods just finished up production. So this is a lot of stuff that's still down the pipeline, but we're gonna be seeing a lot more content and getting a lot more context for these films coming down the line. So I think that's gonna be some exciting stuff to really look forward to, especially in the fact that we're going to be getting around four films coming out next year in regards to DC. We got, again, The Batman, we're going to be getting Black Adam, we're going to be getting The Flash and Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom. So they're going to really want to start getting the buzz out, even for some of those later films that'll be coming out in the summer and late 2022. And then also I want to talk about the the streaming side of things because I think that's going to be a big, big component for DC. And I think Warner, Warner Media, Warner Brothers is going to want to get out and really start promoting this as well because Peacemaker at the time of October is going to be around two months away from premiering. And they also today released the first teaser poster for Peacemaker. So they want to start getting the word out for that television show and also show some stuff on the streaming side of things of, of what DC fans can look forward to with a lot of these spinoffs as well. I personally wouldn't be surprised if we found out not just about the television stuff, but also found out about some film stuff on HBO Max side specifically. I wouldn't be surprised if we maybe got a surprise trailer drop or we, or we got a surprise first look at Leslie Grace as Batgirl and we or we got the full casting announcement of the Batgirl movie or not so I think we're going to see that stuff come, come to fruition as well I think we'll also get a look or not maybe even a look but new details regarding this Gotham PD show that's going to be a spinoff from the Matt Reeves' universe of Batman that we're supposed to be getting so that could be something that could be a surprise that people can look forward to so I think I think the HBO Max stuff along with the along with the film slate are going to be the big things that people are going to be really looking forward to when it comes to DC fandom and, and, and what it has to offer. And some of the things that I'm really looking forward to, I mean, I'm looking forward to all these things, but really kind of the five things that I really want to see how they do and what they offer us is really is some really interesting stuff. So number five for me 
is, I was just talking about it, Peacemaker. Again, it's going to be the first HBO Max show from DC, and it's going to be a spinoff of a character from the movie. So this is kind of DC, HBO, Warner Media kind of taking a page from what Disney first did with WandaVision and their Disney Plus shows from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and integrating them from television to movies. How is that really going to work? And they're starting right off the bat with a show from a very popular movie that just came out with Suicide Squad and I really liked John Cena's character and I think a lot of people really liked what he did with Peacemaker and when it was first announced we nobody has seen anything or heard any buzz about the Suicide Squad whatsoever when they announced that Peacemaker would be the character from Suicide Squad that they would spin off and start their slate with and so we all thought that they Warner Brothers must feel very very confident about Peacemaker and what John Cena brings to the table and I think again in the end they were right in in that confidence and faith that audience members would receive in the way that they did. And I think it offers a very interesting show. And for John Cena, this is going to be big for him as well because we didn't re- we knew that by fast five that Dwayne Johnson was exactly what we wanted him to be in terms of the star and action star when he took on the Luke Hobbs role but it wasn't really until 2015 when he appeared in San Andreas as the headlining star of that film that people realized that this guy isn't just a good action star but he's a good actor and he's a star star that can gravitate people towards watching the film when you see something with him you go see a movie or, or television show or whatever because of Dwayne Johnson. And I'm not saying that people are going to watch this because of John Cena, but it's going to be very interesting to see how John Cena does on his own because he's been in in some good comedies, but he's had some good good supporting characters and, and a good ensemble. And he was in F9 this year, but he had a good ensemble around him. It wasn't he wasn't he was more of a supporting character than a main role. And same thing with with Suicide Squad, where he you could name him as a co-lead, but he had some really good a really good ensemble with him as well, acting alongside people like Idris Elba, Joel Kinnaman. So for Idris, not for Idris Elba, excuse me, but for John Cena. This is good. this is a huge huge deal for him if he if he can lead a show on his own for eight episodes and having James Gunn back is going to be great for him as well so I'm really interested to see the footage of what we're going to see with this show and what it's going to bring to the table so number five for me would be Peacemaker of what I'm really looking to see at DC Phantom this year and then the rest of them are really from the the film slate but we don't know the order so I'm going to go into the order right now so number four what I'm really looking forward to is Shazam Fury of the Gods I I was a huge fan of 2019 Shazam the first film that came out I thought it was a very it surprised me of how much of a family film it was but it was also a superhero film at the same time I thought Zachary Levi was great I love the chemistry between between him and the kids and then the fact that you're adding Helen Mirren you're adding Rachel Zegler who this will after West Side Story this will be her first major blockbuster after that performance of Maria in West Side Story so DC Warner Brothers felt confident of casting her in this film before Disney casted her in Snow White so what's she going to bring to the table and how do you continue the story and how does this connect to the overall DC universe I think is very very curious as well and also how do these two films 
connect with one another because they do have shared history in the comics. And that leads into my number three of what I'm looking forward to, and that is Black Adam. Black Adam has been on my radar for years, as I think it has been for anybody that has known Dwayne Johnson to be attached to this film. It's been off again. It's been on again. It's been finding a new director, page one rewrite, and they went into production. They wrapped production with no drama, and it seems like this film is on track to come out in the summer of 2022. And we saw what this director did with Dwayne Johnson in Jungle Cruise. So if it's anything in that range of fun as Black Adam, as that film was, and I'm really looking forward to Black Adam. And just with the DC fandom details that they came out with last year, I love the the trailer that they put out. It was it was it wasn't even a trailer of, of what the film is, but it was basically background on the Black Adam character. And they did it through this concept trailer that that was really really cool. The costume in terms of concept art looked really awesome. And at that point, we only had one other performer named for the, the role, and it was for Adam Smasher. It was Noah Centino. But now we've got so many other people that are a part of it. We've got Alice Hodges that's a part of this. We've gotten Pierce Brosnan. We've on so many people that are now a part of this and they've wrapped photography. So I'm really, really excited to see some footage from this film of what we can expect from Black Adam and, and what The Rock is, is going to bring with us and what Dwayne Johnson is going to be doing with this role that a lot of people have been looking forward to seeing what he can do. And again, how does that connect to everything? People are speculating that maybe Henry Cavill's Superman could appear in Black Adam because of the relationship between Dwayne Johnson, his company, and Henry Cavill. It's going to be very, very interesting to see where that goes. But as much as I'm looking forward to seeing what Shazam Fury of the Gods can do, as much as I'm looking forward to seeing what Black Adam has to offer, it doesn't compare to, I think, what a lot of people are looking forward to with these two films. And the second one that I'm dying to see footage, as as is everybody, not even footage, but more details about what this film is going to be, and that's The Flash. Ever since last summer, I think for a lot of people, when they heard that, not just my Michael Keaton, but Ben Affleck was going to be coming back and that there's going to be a Supergirl. It's going to deal with the multiverse. The Flash has been on a lot of people's radar for a while. And we got some cool concept art in last year's DC fandom when you saw the Flash with what looked like Keaton's Batman, but we didn't really get any other details than that. We got some we got some details on the story a little bit in terms of why Andy Muschietti was attracted to telling this Barry Allen story and what it's going to entail. But other than that, nothing really. We didn't even get confirmation that Ben Affleck was going to be in the film. It was from a report from the Vanity Fair that Ben Affleck was going to be in the Batman. So we thought that, well, they released that earlier before DC Phantom. They're going to announce it during the event. But that's not really the case whatsoever. And But I'm really looking forward to seeing some footage because I don't know if they're fully done with photography, but they're at least probably three quarters of the way done, I would hope at this point. Because, well, even though they still got well over a year, year and a half almost away from premiering, I'm sure they're, they're still at three quarters of the way done with the photography that by October, you should have something to show at DC Fano for people to be excited about with this film, other than just speculating of what they think this film is going to be. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what The Flash is going to entail, but they they ended DC Fandom with an absolute bang, and it seems like I wouldn't be surprised if this starts off DC Fandom with the Batman. And I mean, everything I've been hearing about this film just sounds like it's going to be something 
so different than what we've seen from Batman before, which is hard to do because we've had so many iterations of Batman, some great, some awful, some in the middle. And it seems like Matt Reeves has found his own niche somehow to make something completely different than anything we've seen before in the Batman franchise. And to me, what what was really impressive was at last year's DC fandom, I was already looking forward to this. Again, I attest that I still always want to see a Ben Affleck Batman, and I wish Ben Affleck was still the only Batman that we could have. But if there's something to, to, if there's a consolation prize, it is the fact that you get Matt Reeves to direct a Batman film. And again, people are saying, well, why are you so excited about Matt Reeves? All I will say is go watch the last two Planet of the Apes films. You watch Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and watch War of the Planet of the Apes. And then also, before watching those two films, just watch the entire Planet of the Apes trilogy that came out with Andy Serkis because they're all great, but it really kicked into another gear when Matt Reeves took over for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And he did an an exceptional job with those two movies. And a lot of people wonder, what is he going to do next? He chose Batman and he was spending a lot of time, I think, reworking, rewriting, wanting to do something different with Batman. And then when you saw what he was going to do with DC Fandom and just hearing him talk about the mythology of Batman, the world of Batman, you could tell he was a fan. And if if you have a fan working on a film like this and if it's done right, it can blow the walls off of expectations. And and that combined with the the, the I still attest, probably one of the best trailers I've seen in the last three to four years was just absolutely amazing. And knowing that that was only about 25% of what they shot, they still had three, they still had a quarter of what to shoot. And now they've done reshoots for additional photography. There is so much more that we're going to see from this film. Not hopefully a lot because I still want to go in surprise, but uh, we're going to have so much more to really comb over with this. We're going to get new details. And, and, and I'm just really, really excited to see what this film is going to be. I really like seeing what Robert Pattinson brings. Again, just in that two minute teaser that we got at last year's DC fandom, just seeing what the, the costume is, what is Bruce Wayne's going to be. I really dug it and seeing what could be Paul Dano's Riddler as this kind of, as this very grounded serial killer. It it reminds me a lot of of something like a Seven mixed in with Batman and comics. It looks so much fun that I cannot wait for it. So to me, it will always be the Batman. I mean, listen, after watching the DC Phantom trailer, I said it, it it was last year when it was moved to 2022. It's my most anticipated film of 2022 and nothing can change it, not even a Marvel film. To me, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is my most anticipated Marvel film coming out in the next couple of years. It was when it was announced at San Diego Comic-Con in 2019. No, it's it's number two at most. Nothing is gonna knock down for me my excitement for the Batman. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing more details about this film and what we're gonna get. And just kind of seeing where it can really, really go in terms of just expanding on the Batman mythology and doing something, again, completely different than anything we've seen before. And if you know the Batman film history, 
That is tough to do because of how many iterations we've had. You go to, to, to Keaton's Batman, that is something in its own field. And even though it's in the same continuity, you have the Joel Schumacher Batmans, and that's in, is, is crazy mind-bending stuff that doesn't really work nowadays. And then you, of course, had the landmark Nolan trilogy of Batman films in which they're grounded in gritty and realism. And we hadn't seen that before in any comic book film, and Nolan really trailblazed that. And then, of course, we get Snyder's version with Ben Affleck Batman and again people are in the media are, are mixed about that I'm in the positive minority of that group of really liking Ben Affleck's Batman and again I wish we could get something from him I want to see what his Batman movie could have been but again if we have something that's new and different I'm happy that it's Matt Reeves doing it so I'm really really excited about it and I've, I've made this more of a Batman gush than anything else but I swear this is all about DC fandom but the Batman is my most go-to thing and I don't think they're going to hold off on it until the end. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they make The Flash the last thing because I think in terms of build up the man, I think last year was people want to see what this new Batman was going to be. I think people are really excited to see now that there's there's work done behind The Flash. I think that could be the last thing that they show because that's the farthest thing away in terms of the slate of films that's coming out this year. And I think DC... I think DC fandom is going to want to end on a film like they did with the Batman or or they could end on the HBO Max stuff as well because, again, they, Warner Brothers, Warner Media wants to get that out there. And I, it could either be that or it could be a, a feature film that they land on. If it is that, I, if it is a film, I definitely think it's going to be The Flash. I think The Batman because it is the – the current thing that is set to release from the DC film slate, like Wonder Woman, I think it'll start off DC fandom at 10 a.m. So uh, again, there's a lot of stuff to look forward to with DC fandom this year. It seems like they're expanding and improving on things that really were were liked from last year's uh, event. And I'm really excited to see what they do because I think DC fandom changed the game when it came to conventions. I, I could be, again, I could be over-dramatizing things, but I really do believe that they changed the game when it came to conventions moving forward. Because when you look at the pandemic, people wanted to, you want to still have some of the same things and San Diego Comic-Con tried to do their at-home version, but it just didn't work out. And, and it didn't work because it was at home, but it, it didn't work because they didn't have anything. They didn't have anybody of, of worthiness to attract people to see their, their, the convention stuff. I mean, when you look at San Diego Comic-Con stuff in, in, in person, the, the Warner Brothers stuff, the, the DC stuff, the Marvel stuff, it's, if it's not there, people are not going to be as excited about it and tune into it as much. And then when you look at what DC fandom was able to do, announcing all these films and television shows and video games and comics, I'm telling you guys, it, you know it if you listen to this podcast and you follow this, it took over the internet on Saturday. Every, everything was DC fandom on Saturday, August 22nd of 2020. And I think they realize that, and which is why they're doing it again. And I wouldn't be surprised if they say, well, we could be doing this stuff for free and, and we could be getting it out to millions and millions of people around the world that 
can't afford San Diego Comic-Con, we're not paying a whole lot of money. We might be paying money to get people to these things and, and be a part of it, but that's pretty much it. So instead of paying the $20, 30000000 million that you shelve out for a slot at a Hall H Comic-Con convention, as much fun as that is, they're saving a lot of money. And I think Disney realized that last year after their Disney Investor Day, where it was really kind of a typical investor call for them, but it was hyped up to be so much more because they were announcing new stuff that really that day in December, Disney again, Disney Plus took over took over the internet when it came to all these new announcements. And, and I think Disney realized that so so much that they said, you know what, we're not even gonna be a, to include this in an investor call anymore. We're gonna make a day out of this. And they're doing Disney Plus Day in a couple months for now. Disney, not Disney, but Netflix is doing their own ta uh, an event, a global event where we're gonna be telling you all these brand new announcements for all the films, television shows, etc., that we have coming out for you. So I think DC fandom hit something for people where they're like, well, we can just come out with our own stuff and not have to worry about paying other people. So it sounds bad for something like San Diego Comic-Con, which is so beloved, but I think for a lot of these other conventions, worldwide, you can gravitate more people in different ways than just going to something like a San Diego Comic-Con where you're shoving out all this money. There are some things that I hope DC fandom does improve upon. I do hope that maybe, even though it's a virtual event, I do think that they could definitely maybe have more people in some kind of a studio because you could definitely tell, and again, it's it's technology, you can't really do anything, that people were on different screens or it just, it, it, when, when they're virtual, it didn't have that same kind of feeling that would it, it, it would be to be live. So I think because the vaccinations are up, you can get people in a room more and you can have people interact. You can have cast members together and directors and cast members around and moderators together that I think can make the experience a little bit more uh, uh, jointed together in a way than it was in last year. But I think overall, the designs of what they were able to do were fantastic. And, and again, it's about the event. It's about what you show, what you convey across that people are going to be very, very excited about. So I think as long as they do that, this is going to be a great day for them. It sounds like from everything that they're going to give us from the, from the, the panels, to the surprises, there's going to be a lot of fun in stored with this. And, and I think I think a lot of people are going to be really excited about this. I'll be covering it like I did last year, putting out different sections. And when I get the schedule for what's coming out when, I'll make sure to be around and posting different different podcast episodes on certain panels throughout DC Fandom Day. So it's going to be exciting. And, and again, it's like you make it a day and an event out of it. And I think DC found that. And I think this is going to be the way that they continue to do things moving forward. So it's really exciting. I'm really excited to see what they're going to be showcasing. You guys know what I'm excited for again, ranking them from a five to one. Peacemaker at number five, Shazam Fury of the Gods, Black Adam, The Flash, and then number one is The Batman. That's what I'm really looking forward to the most from DC Fandom. What are you guys excited about seeing at DC Fandom this year? Is it something completely different? Is it some of the video games? Are you excited about seeing something from DC's League of Super Pets? Are you excited about Batwoman news, of the Flash CW news? What are you guys looking 
looking forward to, let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And I know I'm going way over, guys, so I'm going to wrap this up really quickly. But earlier today in the abundance of news that came out, there was a brand new poster for Venom Let There Be Carnage. And really the main takeaway from this poster was, unlike in the, the last trailer that came out where it said exclusively in theaters this fall, and then there were rumors and reports coming out from different trades that Sony after CinemaCon is going to announce that Venom Let There Be Carnage is going to be moving to 2022, picking the date that Morbius has, and then Morbius will move down the line sometime in 2022. Well, it seems like Sony is sticking with their guns, debunking those rumors, and saying in this new poster that Venom Let There Be Carnage is exclusively coming to theaters on October 15th. So it seems like that's the confirmation that they're going to be getting. And again, they still have a little over a month to change their minds on that. So they could definitely do that before ramping up more of the marketing. But I think they're going to stick to their guns on this. I think they want to see how this does. Maybe if Venom Let There Be Carnage does not do well, maybe that could spell stuff for Spider-Man No Way Home or Morbius in early 2022. But I think they're going to be sticking with this film. They want to see how it does. And we'll see how it does from here. Uh, the, the poster's the poster for me with this one. But to me, the biggest thing taking out of it was that it seems like Sony is sticking with their guns and keeping that October 15th release date. And with that down and out of the way, guys, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward including private relations, returning on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.